Welcome to a new episode of the Applied Innovation Exchange podcast, brought to you by Capgemini's Applied Innovation Exchange. Insurance is seen as one of the most complex professions in the world, with providers having to analyze multiple datasets and variables to offer the insurance product that best suits each customer's needs. Claims processing is equal or maybe even more complex. We are seeing rapid advances in artificial intelligence and machine learning and how those technologies are causing a disruptive shift across the board for all sectors, from retail to automotive to manufacturing and beyond. So how is the commercial insurance industry reacting to these seismic shifts? Are insurance providers being proactive or reactive? Today we are looking at how emerging trends in artificial intelligence are reshaping the insurance value chain. And on our panel today, we've got some amazing guests. We've got Ron Glossman, founder and CEO of Chisel AI, which is a Toronto-based AI solution provider for the global insurance industry. And Ron gave me already some insights on the great prizes they actually have won in different startup competitions. And next to that, we also have Gunjan Agawal, Senior Director of Analytics and AI at Capgemini. My name is Frank Wammes. I'm the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer for Capgemini Europe. Ron, Gunjan, so glad to have you on this podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, super. And what a day. Actually, I think I, I looked outside today and it's the first day that actually it's spring and perhaps spring is also coming towards artificial intelligence when it comes to the insurance industry. <laughs> so let's see if that really is, is, is the truth. And that's the thing I would like to explore with you. So if we look at the insurance industry, like, like I already said in my intro, it's, it's actually a very old uh, industry. And, and I, I recently saw a movie that actually, I'm Dutch, uh, that in the Netherlands, you know, the, 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 the insurance industry actually found this, uh, is adoption. So it's, it's a long industry, it's, a, it's an old industry, and, and we have found that in the past, traditionally, it was quite slow in adopting and adapting to technology changes. Ron, what is your perspective? You know, what do you think of the current state of the commercial insurance industry? And, 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 and perhaps can you give a little bit of an overview what, what Chisel's role is in this play? Yeah, so I think it's actually an amazing time to be in the insurance industry. It's it's ripe for um, innovation. Many people will tell you that insurance is one of the oldest industries around, you know, uh, 300 plus years old. And it hasn't really changed in the way that the business is done. It's still very manual and still very paper-based. Um, and in fact, it's also, some would argue, unaffordable. If you look at the statistics less than half the people uh, on planet Earth have insurance. And so one of our missions here at Chisel is to enable more people to get the coverage and the peace of mind uh, that insurance offers and to really make it accessible. And one of the ways we can do that is by lowering the, um, the barrier to entry. And part of that barrier to entry is the manual processes through which a lot of the insurance brokers and carriers today are servicing their customers. And so who, uh, some of the opportunities we see in the market are better ways of delivering uh, smarter underwriting, knowing your customer, asking them less questions. And so that's where Chisel AI focuses. We enable insurance companies to automate and uh, uh, sometimes simply speed up and not fully automate 
some of the routine manual processes such as policy checking, underwriting, uh, and claims processing. Well, it's a very interesting perspective that you give, and, and actually I was quite shocked by the uh, amount of people that actually are not insured, uh, because we always think that we are overinsured. <laughs> is, is it, and of course, of the cost, is, is it then that you look at, you know, because there are there are countries where perhaps there's no financial stability that, that the big new market is, or is it also because of actually the cost of, of you know setting up and managing the insurance companies in in well established countries where still big opportunities are it's it's a good question and you you hit the nail on the head mostly it's due to the economic stability or the economic development of the countries rather than the the cost but i will say that we're starting to see especially in 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 commercial lines um, that, that, you know, a lot of the companies are insured, but on personal lines, that's not true. And that's where some of these new innovations, um, are coming forward is when you're only collecting a small premium, you know, let's say under a thousand or under $5,000, uh, when you're paying somebody several, you know, tens of dollars an hour, the amount of time that you can spend actually servicing that client is very, very small if you want to make a margin. And so our value proposition, and I think not just ours, but in the ecosystem, the value proposition should be to enable insurance companies to deliver a better service in the same amount of time or less than today. And what that will end up doing is it will allow them to, first of all, increase their margins but also potentially decrease the actual amount of premium that is being charged because they're not spending as much time focusing per client, but actually delivering a better service. And so um, I think the opportunity is going to be both in uh, enabling other countries to become more economically stable, but also reducing the cost of the actual paperwork to get that insurance. Yeah, and more margin, you know, uh, the question, uh, Eric Thiel wrote a, a very interesting piece where he said, like, you know, monopolies sometimes are not bad because once we go into a really commoditized world, like, you know, th then it becomes a margin play. And if there's no margin, there's no innovation anymore. So, you know, g getting perhaps indeed a little bit more space within the industry to really, you know, do more innovation that probably also will help increase then probably the experience for 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 consumers and the ability to potentially indeed deliver additional services. Is that also something that you encounter? Is it something that you you strive for? For sure. One of the uh, things that I've come across in in my time working in the insurance industry with some of the big players is is that exactly um, sometimes. It's about being able to um, customize a product. You know, today insurance has traditionally been I have a product offering uh, and, and you get it within a package and many people don't have the ability to customize that package um, because that package is sort of the average of what the average consumer would need and might not be exactly unique to them. So part of this is going to be how do we enable more products to hit the market and more customized products. Um, we're in the area to the era today of everything being online and digital. One of the best examples um, of that is is what Uber has done to the taxi industry and how everything is now one click away. We envision that insurance is probably going to be there in five to ten years, where you're going to be able to go online and buy insurance in three to five clicks without having to fill in 
all of these long complex forms because most of that data is already accessible through uh, third-party APIs or other methodologies. So then it's the insurance company's job to actually customize their product to better meet your needs rather than offering you something right off the shelf, uh, which is good, but they can do better. And we want to push them to do better, which will end up being a better client experience as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think uh, I, I call it the segment of one as a major trend. Like, you know, you want to be, you know, really uh, having the experience that, that, that you have something that is uniquely tailored to you. And that is something that I see, you know, in more and more around us. Uh, well, artificial is also, you know, it's really it's all around us. We we see it deployed everywhere. Sometimes we're not even, you know, aware that artificial intelligence is, is somewhere in some of the services or the products that we deploy, you know, whether it's in the business, the vehicles, the, the homes. Uh, I always use my 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 uh, Apple Watch as a very good example of like you know all the calculations that can be done because of all the AI which is around it. But but how is the insurance industry reacting to those advancements? You know that AI is in, perhaps in some other industries or products or whatever that they could take advantage of, or also how can we apply it to ourselves? And, and the question to you, Gunjan, could you highlight a couple of of, of real life applications that you see being uh, adopted? of AI in the insurance industry? Uh, sure. So AI is reshaping uh, the insurance industry. As you mentioned, this particular industry was very traditionally slow to adopt. But now because of the AI, we are seeing a lot of changes happening and which is overall enhancing the customer experience and even bringing, generating a lot of revenue for the insurance sector. Now in the highly regulated sector like insurance, what is more important is the AI does not end up in a black box. The AI explainability is playing a very crucial role, especially for the complex non-linear models, which are, which are very much part into the insurance sector. And as AI explainability is becoming more and more available, more and more transparency in the system, because of that, it's enabling various use cases. So the use cases, what we are seeing is like, let's say computer vision techniques. Uh, it's a, it has a huge application in the PNC LOB. So take an example, a automotive policy holder could just take a photo of their car after a crash uh, to estimate the damage and find the closest repair shop. So that's, that's a very beautiful use of a computer vision technique and AI into the PNC. Second, um, as you mentioned, the more of a personalization, let's say next best action. It's every customer is unique. Uh, their needs are different. The needs are at a different stages of the life event. So to enable that next best action, it's not just what is lying within the organization, even bringing a lot of external data sets. Let's say your fitness monitor data, uh, your car uh, uh, IoT data, bringing everything together and enabling the next best action, even doing the uh, AI, like a natural language processing on the unstructured data, maybe email communications or some more, is, is making that whole personalization and cross-sell, cross upsell more, more and more, more and more unique to the customer. Not only that, but even in the underwriting process, uh, as Ron mentioned, lot of uh, automation is happening so that a more risk can be calculated in that process. So there are various use cases which we are seeing from uh, different LOBs 
from the claims distribution underwriting pricing in the insurance sector yeah now is the insurance sector of course also a very sensitive uh, one eh? today expect like you know i i want you to support me the moment that i need it eh? it's 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 a, it's a security almost that we buy uh, for unexpected things but now you talk about AI and, and more and more uh, customers also start realizing that AI is all about data. And more and more also we have discussions about, you know, uh, ethical AI and, and, you know, is AI going to help us or destroy us? To, to what extent, if, if we now have so many different applications uh, in this particular industry, do you feel that 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 could potentially have a backlash or a concern from the consumer towards uh, industries that will apply it, or is it so much in the in the in the back engine uh, of the interaction that you 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 haven't seen that yet? Um, Ron, I don't know. Perhaps you can you can uh, give your perspective on that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because one of the things I've seen, at least here in Canada, and now I can't speak to the back end being AI because I haven't personally examined it. But one of the things one of the carriers here in Canada is doing is on personal lines, specifically auto, they now have this new capability where if you install an app on your phone, you can actually reduce your premium if you're a safe driver. And I think that's very, very cool. And it's one of the first implementations I've seen uh, in production, at least, where a company is leveraging next level technology. Now, it might be more an expert system and rules based rather than a deep learning uh, model. But either way, it's an implementation of a new technology to an old market. You know, car insurance has been around for many, many years to give you different pricing based on your driving characteristics. And I think it's very cool. And in fact, uh, we've tested it out in my family and two of the family members were able to get a 25% reduction on their premium. And if you think about that, 25% is a lot of money for some people, uh, considering that the premium is you know several thousand dollars. So um, I think the insurance industry has actually been quite fast to adopt it. Uh, in speaking with one of our customers and partners, they gave me this analogy where, you know, insurance is still using fax. Almost all services except government have stopped using fax, but a lot of insurance companies still do it. But they're also leaping straight towards AI. And in the middle, you know, there was the email and, and portal era which some yeah, companies yeah. ended up going into, but many of them are completely skipping that and going straight to AI. And for a for an industry that is very risk averse, I find that surprising. But to, to the points made earlier, I also think that being able to describe it and not have a black box uh, is, is part of the reason that is happening because they're able to have some confidence and some understanding in what is happening in the back end rather than just taking a leap of faith. And I think that is the biggest catalyst of why the the uptake on AI has been higher than you would probably expect. Okay, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective. By the way, I'm really curious now, of course, w what kind of car you drive and whether you were one of those two or that you are the one that actually is going to pay the premium, of course, now. <laughs> the 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 uh, Because that, of course, comes with it. But, but I agree with you. I think it's the transparency probably behind it because it, it's clear that if you don't opt in 
into this uh, app, you know, then then potentially you are a worse driver. The, the question is, you know, do we want this? Or is it much more like, you know, these kind of uh, economic decisions could potentially also then have an influence on the behavior of people? Eh? Are we going to shape society uh, perhaps because people are going to be more aware of like, you know, hey, I can save money now rather than in the past. It was just, you know, one option. And, you know, you just better hope you didn't have an accident and uh, and, and, and and it would change costs. So there's, there's a little bit of a funny element to it that potentially AI could change society much more because people will change their behavior, not so much because of the AI, but much more because of the transparency that comes from AI. Which is which is a little bit in contrast with that we always think it's intransparent. In so that, that, that that's interesting, Ron. You also touched a little bit now, of course, with this app. Eh? That means that basically you have connectivity to it, and we see this explosion of data coming from connected devices. So, so how do you see that insurance providers uh, can can really use the data from an IoT perspective to improve customer satisfaction? Do you have both? Some examples, uh, Gunjan. I don't know. Have you have you have some some perspectives on this IoT with AI and insurance providers? Uh, yes, uh, Frank. So there are many use cases of uh, uh, IoT in the insurance sector. So let's say you have home sensors which can monitor fire, wind, any water damage, which is very useful for the insurance industry. Um, as Ron mentioned, vehicle sensors like you can save a lot of money on that. How's your driving pattern? Is there any dangerous driving pattern? Based on that, your insurance can be calculated. A fitness monitor. We all wear these Fitbits, Apple Watches. They all track our health activities. And it comes for a more like a win-win situation. The customers will get some benefits out of it if they are tracking actually their uh, fitness. And even the insurance industry it helps a lot by merging all this uh, IoT data with their other data sets which are available and get a more holistic view of the customer excellent ron do you do you also have some examples or do you have different perspectives on, on internet of things and and the insurance yes thank you frank so unfortunately i can only speak from secondhand experience um, since we're more on the software side of the business rather than the hardware riot side but in my uh, travels around the world and in competition at, at many of these startup competitions, I've come across many companies offering IoT devices. And I think um, I'll follow up on the previous point regarding house sensors and flooding. So I know that one of our uh, partner companies that we work with, uh, about 49% of all the claims that they receive in, in their property business is due to flooding or water damage. So 50% of all claims. And so any type of sensor that you can install to detect a leak, to detect changes in room humidity, to detect uh, moisture, uh, you know, through the air or, or you know, a pipe um, is going to do wonders, both to reduce the actual cost and hopefully prevent the claim um, and there's one company that I know of in the market who says um, our, our view of success as, a, as an underwriter, so they're actually a startup who is insuring houses, is reducing the amount of claims that come in. 
if you can buy an insurance property and we can help deliver you an IoT device that will notify you of a, of a leak or some other type of loss mitigation ahead of time, it's a win for the customer because their premiums are going to stay low because they're going to have no claims in their history. And on the carrier side, it's a win because, of course, you know, 70 to 80 percent of a typical premium dollar will go to cover claims. And if we can bring down that loss ratio, it's a win, win, win on all sides. And so I personally am very excited for IoT devices. I think the one thing that is going to be really, really key is uh, privacy. And so that's where I think the European and, you know, lucky you, you live in, in Europe, <laughs> um, you, you get to see the, the GDPR in effect. Unfortunately, in North America, our data privacy laws are not quite as stringent or user friendly, but I'm hopeful that we will follow suit and also implement the right to own your data because I think that's key. IoT devices are great, but you need to also own your data. Um, and so that's more of a legal issue and a, and a um, political issue that insurance companies are going to have to be yeah, conscious I totally agree. of. And the, and the question in the end, is it not going to be a, a market uh, force as well because people will move towards companies that actually, uh, uh, you know, comply perhaps from from themselves already to certain uh, to certain of these kind of aspects. So uh, I, I totally agree. But one of the other things, of course, which is very crucial is if you if you are and, and, and Ron, I think you gave a good example that people sometimes immediately jump from facts to AI. Uh, but you then also need to have the skills. So, you know, you need to have a workforce that is assisted by perhaps rather than replaced by technology. But, you know, you, you, you have to be able to deal with it. So what kind of skill sets do you both see uh, are required uh, in this change within the industry? Gunjan, do you have a perspective on this? Um, yes, Frank. So as I said, that more and more explainable AI is coming up. It's actually the workforce has to be assisted by the AI. So when I say that, it means, let's say a AI has come up with a result, um, uh, which is required for a regulators. Now in human terms, why did the machine has come up with this answer? Okay, that's where that innovations, which is happening in explainable AI, like SHAP values, that's, that's moving from the traditional features, which gives little or no insight to the workforce, it's actually under helping the workforce to understand what is the reason with this particular uh, algorithm output. And these sharp values take like uh, take all the samples, do the feature extraction, and easily helping the regulators to understand that what is happening behind that algorithm. So that's where it's not actually the workforce is getting replaced by the technology. It's more of assisting assisted by the technology because of all this explainable AI innovation. But it means that the workforce then, you know, needs to be open, needs to be able to to deal with this different way of how the technology is supporting you rather than, you know, you just type in the stuff and things come out. Yes, there is a definitely a shift. The workforce, as you said, like it's more about working closely with the AI. It's not like replacing uh, with the AI. So... If then companies, you know, they, they take this decision, they're going to build on the different capabilities that they have. We have the different kind of use cases. What are the 
core elements in defining a successful AI strategy then? What are the things that company really need to do? Uh, and and uh, Gunjan, I would like to start with you because then I would like to end with Ron because, of course, you know, he has now a very successful AI company. So, you know, I just wanted to hear, hear your perspective, Gunjan, and then Ron, like, you know, you, need, you really need to give the answer. So, Gunjan, what, what's your perspective? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it very short and crisp. I would say the first is have a clear vision, clear use cases, what needs to be done, uh, powered by the right talent and that right technology infrastructure. These are the four elements which are very much required for any successful AI strategy. Good. Uh, Ron, you have been successful. So now, I, you know, just give us the magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm happy to answer that. I'd just like to, to add my thoughts, if you don't mind, to the previous question, because I think I think that's the right view. And a lot of times um, people are fearful of, of AI because they think they're going to be replaced. But I can tell you from from my experience and our customers experience. So when I go to their office and I interview people and I've done this and, and this is one of my favorite sort of activities that I get to do. And my role as CEO is solicit feedback and really sit down with the users, understand what they like and what they don't like. And here's what I've come to learn. So oftentimes, uh, let's say we're talking about an underwriter. They are working not nine to five, but sometimes nine to seven, nine to eight, or sometimes the opposite, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Because there is simply more to do then they have time to do in a day, which means that those two or three hours that they're working overtime, they're missing their daughter's first ballet recital, their son's first baseball game. They might be missing an anniversary dinner or, you know, let's say they love sports. They might be missing out on, on watching their favorite football team. And so our mission at Chisel has been for the longest time to help people work smart and enrich their lives which means if we can assist you in doing your job with AI so that you get to go home at 5 p.m., that is a win because we're giving you precious family time back. And so it's, it's 100% not about removing people. It's about enabling them to work smarter and more efficiently and get the work done in a reasonable amount of time so that they can now go I understand, home. Now, now, I understand, yeah, now I understand where your company is called Chisel because you just give me the chisels, uh, Ron, in a very long <laughs> way. <so. laughs> and from, but I, I, I agree. And I, I never have somebody have it articulated this, this well. So th thanks for that. I think indeed, you know, this is, a, this, this is an opportunity, not so much a threat. And when it comes to yep. the AI strategy, so what, what, what do you think next to explaining <laughs> the opportunity? What are some other elements that you think, you know, companies need to have for a successful AI strategy? Yeah. So one of the things that I've, I've seen that, that works relatively well is an innovation team or department or the opposite, which is empowering everybody to be uh, running projects and proofs of concepts, which is a good first step. But a lot of companies fall into a fallacy where, you know, they have an innovation department and they want to do a pilot, but they haven't changed their procurement process. And as you probably know, these insurance companies have very, very strict procurement cycles, very, very long. Yep. And for a company like them, you know, 12 months might not seem like a long time, but for a small startup, uh, you know, slightly earlier than we are, that is bootstrapping and doesn't have venture funding, they could not afford to go through a full procurement cycle. So one of the things that 
companies need to have as part of their strategy is they need to have a different procurement cycle for pilots and proofs of concepts. And that cycle should ideally be like one month. Um, and that's really where you're going to find success because a lot of the small startups will not be able to support the long sales cycles and procurement cycles that need to go through. And then I think the second piece that I've seen work very, very well is having a budget. Uh, of course, doing proofs of concepts and pilots should not be cost prohibitive. So I've seen companies that, that especially startups that ask for very, very large proofs of concepts and pilots. And in my opinion, that's not reasonable. But on the flip side, the companies, uh, specifically the, the brokers or the carriers or the reinsurers that are participating should have a stake in the game, which means having some budget dedicated aside to this. Oftentimes, and I think it's improved over the past two years, we would come in and they would need to find a budget. So they want to work with us. They see that there's a business need, but they don't have a budget. And they need to go out and solicit it from departments, which, again, can take months and months of time. So if I can make two suggestions on how to improve corporate strategy for AI, one, to reduce the procurement cycle and actually have a separate stream uh, with much shorter compliance questionnaires, etc. And the second one is to have a dedicated budget set aside. It doesn't need to be huge, but it needs to be there and it needs to be at the discretion of the, the budget holder so that they don't have to get approvals to deploy the budget unless it's above some threshold. Excellent. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the things that we always said is like, you know, your your whole organization needs to be, you know, digital aware. And it not only goes for some people in the IT part or from the commercial part, but it's actually indeed like, you know, your support staff, you know, risk, uh, procurement, uh, finance, you know, because you're going to craft new new business models. You're going to procure in a new way and you need to do it in a, in a, in a different mode. Excellent. You know, I learned so much again. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm a user for the insurance industry. I'm not so much working with the insurance uh, industry, but for me, it is clear that this is one of the industries that has a tremendous potential because of perhaps sometimes, you know, the, the, the lack of investments in the past or advancements on, on technology in the past, but, but now taking leaps forward. A good example, Ron, that you gave from going from facts to AI in one go. I think the use cases are are very uh, valid, uh, are very uh, rich, and 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 they come in a lot of numbers already. And it also learned me, and that was a little bit of an insight that came out of it. Is also you know probably shaping uh, our our culture and the way that we think uh, because of the transparency. And and that's a fun part because indeed you know AI doesn't always have to be intransparent or, or, or but but actually you know becomes more transparent on how we spend things etc but it is about the opportunity and not about the threat it's about you know creating more value and this this notion indeed of you know being able to see your first uh, ballet recital from your kid that 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 came, that, that, that made impact wrong <laughs> and it's indeed about you know how do you test it how do you test it in short cycles and that also needs to be supported, of course, because you're going to probably do it with different people. I would like you to. I would like to thank you. I think it was a fascinating discussion with a lot of rich insights that people can build on and and think about what it means for uh, for 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 implementation at at clients. And I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of the Capgemini Applied Innovation Podcast. And you can connect with Ron. Ron, where can people find you on social media? 
They can find me on Twitter at Ron Glosman, G-L-O-Z-M-A-N, or at Chisel AI. Um, and connect with me on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to add you to my network and answer. Any well, questions. excellent. And I think you can deliver a lot of value to the people. Gunjan, where can people find you? Uh, I'm there on LinkedIn um, with the name Gunjan Agarwal and on Twitter, it's Gunjan underscore Amit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your participation and the richness that you brought uh, to the discussion. My name is Frank Wammers. You can find me on at on Twitter and fwammers on LinkedIn. And I hope you will join us next time again on the Applied Innovation Podcast brought to you by Capgemini's Applied Innovation Exchange. Thank you. <laughs>